let me introduce you to Ecclesiastes. Nice to meet you. Well, we're, we're starting a new series in Ecclesiastes uh, for the next um, oh, a little less than a quarter. I'm uh, really excited about it. Um, it's uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be uh, uncomfortable at times because if you if you've had anything to do with Ecclesiastes, it's kind of one of those like, what is what is what like you know you just kind of question uh, yourself or question the book a fair bit. Uh, but what I'm going to what I'm going to try to do for you is I'm just going to try to introduce you to it a little bit, just build a bit of framework for you to help you understand it, just to give you a bit of confidence when you come to the book. I think part of the way. Um, we relate to Ecclesiastes, it's like one of those, like this is a detour that I'll just go around. Like this, it's a bit of a roadblock and rather than working through it and taking the time to navigate it, it's just like, I'll just dodge it. Like I'll just dodge it and I'll go somewhere else. So, you know, I get, you kind of get this sense that, you know, reading the Bible, you're kind of pretty comfortable with um, the narratives of the, of the Old Testament and, and the prophets. And you're like, that's good, that makes sense. You know, they went to here and then they went to this and they did this and they went to this. And it's, it's good, it's a nice story. And the New Testament, you know, Pauline's letters, you know, those beautiful, rich letters and the Gospels, and we can kind of make sense of it. But there's a few books scattered throughout the Bible that we're just kind of like, ah, oh, we'll just, we'll leave that to the scholars. Uh, but I think that's wrong. I think there is, you know, God's Word is powerful and it's alive and He's got a bunch of stuff to say to us through Ecclesiastes so I'm going to try and do a little bit of groundwork just to help us understand it. So you can look at it and you go, I like it. You know, that's, that's the hope. You're going, that's not possible. You know, it's a little bit. It might be possible. And then, uh, and then we're going to look at the first chapter. So if you've got a Bible, you can um, open up in preparation, uh, verses 1 to 11. But let me, uh, let me set the scene a little bit for you. I think it would be really helpful for you. Uh, the first thing we need to note is that Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. So there's a handful of books in the Bible that are wisdom, uh, literature. These are, it's, it's less like a nice meal. Like some of the books in the New Testament, it's like, that's really rich. That's really nice. It's less like that and it's more like just a punch in the nose. It's kind of like, what was that? Like, what are you doing? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And it's, um, it's a little more, you know, poetic and raw and a bit more honest about stuff. And uh, it's a bit more in your face uh, when you read it. And you'll know that if you've, read anything in it uh, it's quite uh, uh, confronting uh, the other thing is form I'll, I'll just mention this quickly I won't I won't unpack this but just quickly there is a few styles of writing so if you read Ecclesiastes you may actually notice there's a few proverbs in there so as you read through it you're kind of going oh I know what that is that's a proverb and you're going great I can deal with that but that's there's not much of that so that's not going to help you too much that the other ones that you'll see more commonly is you'll have, um, you'll have wisdom instruction. So it's a teaching which seeks to persuade the, the reader toward a particular thought or a particular action and to persuade them away from particular thoughts and actions. And we'll see this a little bit later, but let me give you an example. Ecclesiastes 5.1.3 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. See how he's, the contrast that to draw uh, near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. He's kind of like persuading toward an action and away from an action. You can see there's a wisdom instruction there. Uh, wisdom literature, I'll just frame it again. The other books that you'd, you'd kind of lump into this category are Job. You kind of go, you know, if it's anything like that, we're in, we're in trouble. Uh, you know, that deals with human suffering and, and evil, uh, the, the Psalms, wisdom literature, it's relating 
to God through everyday situation. Um, you see kind of these beautiful scenes of, of praise and lament and this kind of uh, great dynamic range between them. Uh, the Song of Songs, uh, you know, that's kind of the book of love. It's all about beauty and love and pleasure. And the other one is the Proverbs, and that's, you know, worshipping God with our everyday lives, kind of every little minute detail, honouring Him. The last thing to note, um, which I think it's not critical, but it's helpful. Uh, the author traditionally was Solomon. So uh, a number of commentators suggest that Solomon wrote, uh, he wrote three books. He wrote the Song of Songs in his youth when he was young and energetic. Um, you know, if you're, if you're married, you know what I mean. Uh, and, and then he wrote Proverbs, uh, you know, as a mature man, he's kind of looking at the world around him and he's just, he's like, he's like, He's got a lot of you know, maturity and a lot of kind of common sense and that wisdom that he's just kind of journaling. And then uh, if you know the story of Solomon, in his older years, he turned away from God. Uh, and, uh, and they suggest that he actually wrote Ecclesiastes right at the end of his life as an old man, just looking over it all and just going, man, like what, what a waste. Like looking at his own, uh, you know, the, the trail of destruction in a sense and just going, it's meaningless. And you can see how they fit together quite well. Now that's not, um, you know, you can, you can just see, if you read Ecclesiastes, it talks about the height of wealth and the height of wisdom and, uh, and these incredible experiences to which Solomon is a really good fit. Now in saying that, it's not, um, it's not critical, but it's quite helpful. Um, The last thing, and I said that was the last thing, but the last thing to mention is that the Ecclesiastes, you might be tempted to kind of lump it alongside uh, Proverbs because there's moments where it looks similar, but it's not. They're almost the opposite. So Ecclesiastes is exceptions, not rules. So, you know, Proverbs, if you know Proverbs, they're kind of like maximums. They're like, this is generally what life is like. You know, if you do this, generally you can expect this. You know, like if you're going to be a, a clown and you're going to sleep all day, uh, your house is going to fall apart, right? Like that's, that's just generally, that just makes sense. Uh, Ecclesiastes is kind of like the opposite. It's the exceptions, not the rules. He's kind of like, life's not supposed to be like this, but it is. So what are you going to do about it? You know, he's kind of looking at a bunch of stuff and he's like, that's not the design. That's not what it's supposed to be like, but it is like that. All right, let's... Let's get into it. We are going to, um, I'm going to read you those, those first 11 verses real quickly and then we'll, um, we'll just watch a little video to, uh, to illustrate it. Ecclesiastes 1, 1. I think I've got it here. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Like, could you say it a couple more times to drive it home? Like, probably not. Like, that's probably enough. What, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Sorry, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. 
The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. As they are, there's like a punch in the gut for all you innovators out there. Uh, is there such a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been. Sorry, it has been already. In the ages before us, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will, there, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So let's just watch a moment of this to illustrate this. I could um I could watch that all morning and and if I if I knew Morgan Freeman I'd get him to do a voiceover of verses one to eleven over the top of that right don't you hear that refrain like don't you hear that that you know the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises you know a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever it's just going life is just ticking on man and you gotta you gotta take a look at your life and you gotta kind of like get serious about it like because it it's going it's all vanity. All of your work under the sun is meaningless. Let's, uh, let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 3 and verse 11. We're going to start there. And I've only got, I've got two thoughts for you this morning. So uh, we'll get there. Toil for the unperishing. Verse 3 says this. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And verse 11 says this. There is no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So build the greatest business empire, like amass a wealth like none other. You know, break, uh, hum- you know, break world records, you know, uh, stretch the human limitations. Ultimately, all of your earthly work is going to be forgotten. The world's going to move on. Your life your work, your legacy will be forgotten. It's going to blow away, chaff in the wind, just like, you know, let's go on. How's that make you feel? <laughs> you know, when you stand before God and you give account of, for your life, you know, and, you, and uh, you know, do you really think he's going to, you really think he's going to kind of marvel when you're telling him, no, 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 but I hit six digits, you know, my paycheck. I worked and I worked and I worked and I hit, Six digits. Do you think he's going to like marvel at that? Or when you say, but I was an innovator or I was an inventor or, you know, I was a producer. I produced, you know, the, um, the most fascinating nonfiction sci-fi docudrama you've ever laid your eyes on. You know, do you think he's going to be amazed by that? You know, it's gone. 
Probably not. Just let me clarify one thing here before you all get completely depressed, because we'll get to that later, because we're going there. But uh, let me clarify, under the sun, when you, we see that in verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil that which he toils under the sun? Under the sun, you know, it's used quite frequently throughout the book. In 12 chapters, it's used about 30 times. And uh, under the sun means viewing life at ground level without any thought of higher value. So you're kind of like, I'm here, I'm doing my own thing, and this does not matter to me. So there's no, there's no notion of God. It's like, this is my work, this is the thing that I will commit to, you know, and this is the thing that will define me, and I'm just going to keep toiling away at that. So in that space, it's all vanity, it's all meaningless. Verse 3 there, what, does, what similarities do you hear there? If you read verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I was reading that and just, do you, like, do you hear this? Mark 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Like, you see that, you see that connection? Let me, uh, let me give you Matt's paraphrase. What does a man gain? What does it profit him to toil and toil and gain the whole world under the sun? Nothing. He will be forgotten. No one's going to remember you. If, uh, if all toil under the sun is vanity, we need something above the sun, don't we? Like we need something outside of our own uh, existence to toil for. Like we need something greater than and above the world. Because, you know, because I hope you're saying in your head, I don't want my toiling to be in vain. Like I don't want it to be a waste. Like, all this? Like, no way. Like, I do not want to waste all of that. Like, isn't that the reality for a lot of people? Like, isn't that it? Like, these people, these accomplishments, this position, this paycheck, like, this is my everything. Like, tell me you've heard that, right? Like, that might be you yourself. Like, that might be it. Like, this, under the sun, this is my whole reality right now. I hope that if that's your whole reality, that feels really, really meaningless. Or really hopeless. Because it is. It is. It's really hopeless. Paul, um, I think Paul kind of gets at this in 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, if the dead are not raised, and he's talking about the resurrection of Christ. He said, if the resurrection didn't happen, and if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He's saying, like, if Christ didn't rise from the dead and reign in heaven forevermore, have pity on us. Like, if, if that didn't happen, this is it. It's like, you know, bottoms up, this is it. This is our life now. This is all the hope we have. These things, this, you know, that promotion, that wealth, that family, those friends, that wisdom. This is the end. Like, this is everything. But Christ did resurrect and he is ruling and he is reigning over the world. He says it, uh, he says it in Revelation 21. This is, this is powerful. See verse, well, I'll read it all. He, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of and the end to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without p- 
payment. All this to say, toil for something that lasts. Like a hope that you can look at the things under the sun and just see hopelessness. Just see a relentlessness. Just see like a restlessness. It's like, it's not going to last. Like, it's going to go rusty. <laughs> you know, it's, all, it's all going rusty. It's all going bad. Like your body... It's going rusty. Your car, it's going rusty. Like, it is perishing. It's all, the earth's just going to keep spinning. It's going to be a few more sunsets, and your time is done. Toil for something that lasts. Matthew 6 says this, Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hope you hear that and I hope you go, yeah, that's what the project's all about. That last line there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that you spend your time and your talent and your money on, they're the things your heart is captured with, aren't they? You know, like a lot of the time it's money. Like follow a person's money and you'll find their heart. Like that's, that's the thing that they are captured with. Those are the things that they are worshipping. Those are the things that, that they are fearing and toiling to please. So looking at that, looking at those things, if you realize you are busy toiling at something that's perishing and you're going, that's vanity, like that's useless. The answer isn't to cut off your behaviors and to, you know, to kind of start behaviors elsewhere. The answer is actually you need in your heart to be so captured by something else that your behavior is going to follow. So the answer isn't just to like, oh, well, I better stop spending money on my car then. That's not it. Like it's actually, you need to actually get new desires in your heart. You need for your heart to be so captured in awe of something else that your money is just going to follow. It's just, it's just kind of like a little puppy dog chasing a, a kid around the yard it's just like just right behind him you know it's just like you can't good luck trying to leave it behind like it's just following you your treasure will follow your heart so lay your heart on something that lasts if you're just going to lay your heart on all this just hear solomon it's vanity it's meaningless it's, per- it's perishing it's fading so I'm going to cut it. Second thing. There's a search for satisfaction. Read verse 8 and 9 there. And feel that. Feel the weight of this. Just again, let me remind you who Solomon was, right? Like the wisest man that lived second to Christ. You know, the Bible speaks pretty like clearly about him and his incredible wisdom, you know, a th- 700 wives, 300 concubines, you know, constructed the temple for God, built his own, incre- like, amazing man. And just hear this, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. He's like, I don't even have the words to describe <laughs> how weary this is. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. <laughs> like, who knows that person who's never satisfied? Or who is that person? Like, that should be a, that's an all-in, isn't it? Like, if I'm honest, it's probably me. 
Because all of us, we are, we are never, if we're toiling under the sun, we are never truly satisfied. There's this kind of like, I've got to see more, I've got to taste more, I've got to do more, I've got to consume more. Just not, we are just not happy staying where we are. You know, if you watched the video that we recorded in the lead up to Ecclesiastes, there was an illustration of a car. You know, just think of the, think of a car. You get a new car, that's good, it's, that's nice for a couple of months, right? Like the leather smells and like the air con, like so cold. Like, you know, you put it on, it's like, whoa, it's so crisp. It's like, I can feel the air, like it's not just air, it's like there's some sort of, it's doing something to my skin and the steering wheel, you're like, well, it's responsive, you know, for all the men, it's like those wheel bearings are tight and, you know, like she's ready to perform. And it's like, just, just give it some time, man. Like, I'll break it to you now, it's coming. It's not going to last. You're going to be questioning it in a couple of months. You're going to be really disappointed. If that's where your meaning is, you're just, you're on a treadmill. There is a relentless search for satisfaction. It is never enough. We were designed for pleasure, but we're just stuck on this treadmill and we just keep pressing the faster button. We're just like, oh, that's good. No, nah, it's not enough. I'll just keep up a few notches. Oh, yeah, that's good. No, it's not enough until we're just sprinting and there's this kind of like relentless search. What else? What else? What can I satisfy my, myself with? Let me give an illustration. They did a... Um, we'll come to that. They did a... Um, the ABC uh, did a... Um, just a... Uh, they did a little a mini documentary about the body obsession. Like, are Australians too obsessed with their bodies? And uh, this is... Uh, one of the interviews, they did a number of interviews. They did uh, interviews with, um, you know, with uh, models and doctors and, uh, you know, and kind of uh, psych- psychologists and a bunch of different people about how do we understand our body. And this guy, uh, this guy is just like, he is not satisfied. Just listen for this. Listen for the things that he says that, that gives or hints at the treadmill. Like he's on the treadmill. Have a listen to this. I already do so much and there's still, the, there's still the need to get bigger. The day you started lifting was the day you became forever small. Every day you just wake up and want to be like a little bit bigger. Breathe out. Up. How long do you stick with it? Eating six meals a day, sleeping early, no drugs, alcohol, anything like that. When I know that you could use steroids and you could actually regain some of your life but you'd get even better results. If I did all that I do already and then added steroid to the mix, I'd be in great condition. I'm happy with how far I've come, but to get to that end result, to see myself really happy with how I look, yeah, it seems. Seems impossible. Did you hear that? Did you hear those couple of notes there? Like that, the day you started lifting was the day you became forever small. <laughs> like, just, you, all right, that's, that, you sound like Solomon. Like, that's meaningless. Like, the, it's relentless. And that, what he said straight after that, Every day you wake up just wanting to be that little bit bigger. Isn't that, like, you may not be a weightlifter like me, but like, you know, I'm just kidding. But, you, you know, you, don't you hear that right across the board? Like, just that little bit more. Like, I'll be satisfied if I can just get that little bit more. Like, you, look at the stuff you're toiling for. Like, your paycheck. Like, seriously, 5% and I'm good. Like, or just, just apply that right across the board and you'll just see this little, it's just a bit more and I'll be good. I'll be happy. He's, you know, he's saying, if I can just get bigger, I'll be happy. 
And he's, I'll ruin my body in order to do it. He's like, I'm on the verge of taking steroids. Like, let's do it. Like, sure, there'll be some consequences, but I'm going to satisfy myself. Now, you may be thinking, look, that's just not the case for me. Like, I know how to rein it in. I, I'm, I'm not like that. Like, I'm enjoying myself, and I'm not, kinda, I'm not at the meaningless stage yet. You may be enjoying yourself. It may be enjoyable at the moment, but it's, it's only a matter of time. So if you've got some stuff in your life, and you're just going, no, I'm really enjoying it. It's really good. The end is nigh. You know, like, it's, it's coming for you. It's, you're going you're gonna to look at it one day and you're going to wake up and you're going to go, ah, it's not really satisfying me like it used to. So it's coming. What's the problem? The problem with this is that we allow the things that satisfy, that satisfy us, we allow those things to, de- to define us and give us meaning. You know, like the, the dude with the project car. He's just going, this is everything to me. Like, oh, I needs this now. You know, you ever seen a, a young fellow with a project car? Like, I'm a victim of that. Like, not a victim. I'm a sinner like that. Absolutely. Like, just like, oh, that's good. Two weeks later, I oh, needs that. Oh, yeah, needs, like, needs that. I'm just not happy with it anymore. Oh, that's, now we're talking. Oh, a couple of weeks later, nah, needs this now. This relentless kind of, it just needs more and it needs more and needs more. It's, it's relentless. It's not coming to an end. Or, or think of um, parents, you know, mums and obedient children like if they would just hold their stuff together for a day like seriously kids give me a day please you know am i asking too much you know (laughs) you're gonna want more they give you a day you're gonna want a week all right you did it i know you're capable of it three days you know it's like no no that's not it you know we're we're just going down the wrong road i think of um Think of people dating and intimacy, you know, like you date someone and it's like this, as a, it can quickly become toxic. Money, last illustration is money. If money is the thing that gives you meaning, you will always want more of it. It is an unquenchable thirst. If only I had this much and then this much. You just, you're never going to have enough money or materials to fully satisfy your life. Just imagine um, Scrooge. I think it's Scrooge, you know, that duck who's just swimming in the money. You know, just imagine him just going, this is what I was made for. <laughs> uh, it's coming. Like, it's coming for you. You're going to wake up and you're going to look at your big pile of gold and you're just going to be like, it doesn't mean that much. It's meaningless. We... We wreck the good things. So as you, as you look through Ecclesiastes, you'll notice mostly he's talking about the things that he has a swing at. They're mostly good things. Go, oh, well, that's confusing. Like he's talking about things like, you know, money and wisdom and food and drink and friends and pleasure. These are good things. Like money is not bad. It's a great thing. The problem is, though, that we wreck good things, right? Like... In our hearts, we wreck good things. This, um, sorry, this quote here from S1 says this, God shows us what we were made for and then bids us to look at what has become of us. How do we wreck good things? How do we do that? The thing is that objects in themselves, they don't have meaning. It's the heart's response to the object that gives it meaning, right? It's the way we respond. It's the desire in ourselves 
for the object, or you know, it's the desire that the object's connected to that gives it meaning. Let me go to money again. Like money in itself, it's meaningless. Like it's just, it's just a bunch of, I don't even know what it's made of, like plastic? It's, it's just, it's nothing. It's just, you hold a bunch of money up in front of someone, you know, and the thing that gives it meaning is their desire for it, isn't it? Like in itself, it's useless. It just, put a bunch of money on the chair, it cannot do anything. But it's our desire for money that can lead us places. You know, who knows that people looking for meaning in money, like how stingy are they? Like you can see their desire for money is actually leads them to a bad place where they're like, why would I want to give away the thing that matters so much to me? It's the thing or the desire, the money or the object is connected to that gives it meaning. So if the desire that it's connected to is perverted, you lose the value of the object. If, um, let's, just, let's just say this, if your life, if your highest goal is obtaining money or is obtaining power, your life is meaningless. That's what Solomon's saying. It's, me- like, it's vanity. It is a chasing after the wind. You will never be satisfied. So, you know, my life is all about achieving this goal or attaining this position or, you know, this standard or this kind of model. It's, what happens when you arrive? I hope you hear this and, and I hope in the back of your head, I know what that is. I know what that's, that's the idol thing, isn't it? That is the human heart is a factory of idols. That is like... I'm going to take this good object and I'm going to worship it and I'm going to turn it into an idol, into a really bad, sour thing. Here's a question for you. What gifts from God, what good gifts from God are you asking too much of? Here's the reality. You are made, you are made to be satisfied in God, to worship Him and live in awe of Him, but sin cuts you off from that relationship. And you chose instead to be satisfied with any manner of things under the sun. You're going, you know what, I don't want to do this right now. Like, I'm not going to toil with the notion of God. I'm just going to do this, thanks. Like, I'm fine. The problem is that you, you find that uh, satisfaction in things and objects that weren't designed to satisfy you. It's kind of like day after day, you're screaming at like a, a tiny little pathetic wooden idol, you're everything I've ever wanted. It's like, what is that? Like, that is insanity, right? Like, you just... They just, they just go, it's amazing. It's like, wow, you're everything to me. It's like, no, it's not. Like, it's not. And you're looking for meaning in things that weren't meant to define you. Now look at the life of Solomon and just hear his words. You know, like he's going, you won't be satisfied. It's a waste of time. Money, I had it. You know, right. You know, women, I had it. Power, I had it. Wisdom, I had it. You're not going to be satisfied, man. He's just like, I'm just letting you know. It's not going to happen for you. All right, you can try, but all that toil under the sun, it's a waste. What do you do about it? The, the answer is not stifling our longing for satisfaction. The, the result, you go, okay, I get it. I'm not supposed to satisfy myself in things, you know, in, in perishable things. So do I just cut off my satisfaction? That's not the, the answer is not to stifle or restrain or restrict or diminish your satisfaction, we need to d- redirect it, don't we? 
because we were made for pleasure. Christ is our meaning in meaningless. The God-man, Christ entered into our meaningless, into that, that toiling, and he lived among us and he died to free us from it, to free us from our relentless idolatry. His death purchased for us life and living water, true, lasting satisfaction in God. I'll finish with this story and, and wrap it up. This is the story um, of, of Christ and, uh, and the woman, or the Samaritan woman. It says this, A woman from Samaria came to drink, sorry, to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it in from it himself as did his sons and his livestock jesus said to her listen to this everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again i hope you just hear that refrain in your heart right like i'm drinking from it and i'm drinking from it but i'm still thirsty and it's not working and there's that don't you just get that sense of hopelessness that meaningless and he says but Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She goes, give me this water. I don't want to be thirsty again. I don't want to have to come here to draw water. Christ is eternal satisfaction. Christ is the one that your heart is longing for. He's the one that gives you the water and you say, I'm not thirsty anymore. I'm not thir- like it's that good. I'm not thirsty anymore. You don't wake up one day and go, ah, oh, no, it doesn't quite kick the goals anymore. I need to do something else. He gives you the water, and you wake up and you go, I'm not thirsty. I'm satisfied. Here's the contrast with Ecclesiastes, right? Like here the the stark contrast. I'm going to give you water, and you're never going to be thirsty again. That is like. Polar. Ecclesiastes is like, you can drink that, it's not going to work. You can drink that, it's not going to work. You can drink that, it's not going to work. You can drink that, you're going to get a really dry mouth. You can drink that, you're going to get ulcers. It's just like, it's not, none of this. Like all this, you're going to get like, you're going to get like a really sore throat, man, because that's going to screw you up. That's Ecclesiastes. Now see how this changes your desires. If Christ, if He is the thing that gives you meaning and satisfaction, your relationship to good, things and bad things and hard things changes doesn't it you're not demanding of them more than you should you aren't asking them to to satisfy you suddenly they become a means to more of christ like get get your head around that like all of a sudden everything has meaning again the good things have meaning again the bad things have meaning again and the hard things have meaning again because there are means to more of Christ. He's going, if you are toiling under the sun, it's meaningless. But if, you are, if, you are, if you're drinking of the water that Christ gives you, everything else 
becomes meaningful again. Let me finish. Ecclesiastes is a chance to refocus. We're going to be looking at some really specific topics over the next uh, couple of weeks and we're, we're really looking forward to it. But it's, you know, it's a chance for us to look at the different areas in our lives and kind of question, like, am I trying to take water there? Like, am I trying to draw meaning and value from that, that thing? Are we taking meaning from there rather than from Christ? Let me pray. Christ, you are meaning in meaningless. Uh, just, like, just confess, even in saying that, just areas in my life where I just get satisfied elsewhere. Where I just look at, there's this like, how are you so divided, Matt? And I just ask for me and for us that there would just be this call to come and drink the water. That, that we would hear from you by the power of the Holy Spirit, a call, Matt, come and drink this water. You will never be thirsty again. This is what you've been looking for. This is the thing that will satisfy you. And as we, um, just over the next couple of weeks, as we start to look at different areas, there'd be a real um, openness and a clarity in us to see that and respond to it. That there would be, uh, in Ecclesiastes, uh, incredible transformation because it's your word to us. And we don't want to take it lightly. So help us to see, Lord. Amen.